when I see the future, it's a future when we will have an opportunity to redefine what human body and mind means. So my future is about our ability to regenerate organs, ability to alter our genes. And we already know 3000 genes in our DNA, which are responsible for aging processes, which starts probably after age of 20, 25. My mantra is to live 200 years in 25 years old body. I'm a great believer of psychological aspect of aging. This change into this mental paradigm has changed my life a lot because every morning I wake up, I have like three fourths of my life ahead of me. I can dream, I can think big, I can actually change the world in a positive way. Increase of the lifespan is happening. 100 years ago, the average lifespan on Earth was, what, 35 years. Right now, it's again, for developed countries, it's 75. No one ever had a debate like, can we allow this to happen or not? So in a way, this is a trajectory. And what I would like to do is for us to start a conversation, start a thinking process about how the world should change, how our relationship with modern nature should change, how our ethical norms, social constructs uh, needs to change. We have created technologies to extend our life, but we haven't created the life that we want to extend. Hi, this is Sergey Young, and this is Reach Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. What would life be like if you could live to 150, 150 years old, healthily. Well, what about 200? What about beyond that? Well, this is not science fiction, but it is science, the science of lifespan extension, the science of what today's guest calls growing young. And it's a very interesting science in that it of course conjures up some very important questions, questions with profound philosophical, moral, ethical, psychological, environmental, and economic implications. But for Sergey Young, a very smart and engaging and optimistic chemical engineer turned investment banker turned venture capitalist, this science and all the questions it begets is not an academic thought experiment because cutting edge lifespan extension breakthroughs are very much on the horizon, all in lockstep with his commitment to accelerating these advancements and making them affordable and accessible to all. Named one of the top 100 longevity leaders in the world, Sergey is the founder of the $100 million Longevity Vision Fund. He's an XPRIZE Foundation board member and a development sponsor of the Age Reversal XPRIZE, which is a global competition designed to find a cure for aging. He's also the author of the new book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young, which is a really fascinating demystification of the longevity landscape. It's a look at the near and less near future advancements and possibilities that await us in this space. And of course, the practical and many things we can all and should be doing now to live healthily to 100 and beyond. This one is pretty wild and it's coming right up, but first. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go 
brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm going to tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia. And he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions. I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients, faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay, Sergey Young. 
longevity, anti-aging, growing young. We cover it all today. What is longevity and how near-term technology advancements, things like wearables, body digitization and AI are revolutionizing medical diagnostics and early disease detection. We discuss the insanely wild far horizon of age reversal science, things like digital avatars, teleexistence, 3D organ printing, AI brain integration. It's insane what's happening. Also, we of course talk about what we can and should all be doing now to extend not just our lifespan, but our health span, which is stuff we talk about here all the time. Things like eating a plant-based diet, prioritizing exercise, sleep, relationships, time in nature. But the most interesting aspect of this one, at least for me, was wrestling with the moral landscape this presents, the ethical questions that life extension surfaces and the urgency with which we need to be thinking very deeply right now about the many profound implications of these advancements. So with that being said, let us now slide down the longevity rabbit hole. This is me and Sergey Young. Sergey, nice to meet you. Thank you for doing this, driving up here. Been looking forward to meeting you. Hi, Reach. Hi, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to have I'm you. I'm very excited. I'm excited to talk about all this kind of stuff. But before we get into any of this, I gotta know. I mean, I can't believe your last name is Young. Yeah. As somebody of Russian descent, that can't be your oh, real last not. name. Um, so <laughs> you have a stage name. Yes, I do. Uh, so, uh, and when people ask me about that, I'm really upfront. Uh-huh. So well, this is the truth. I started to spend a lot of time in the US in the last five years, since I've developed the passion to change the world. And, and US is the uh, biggest inefficiency that we have healthcare wise. It's like the most mm-hmm. inefficient healthcare system in the world with 18% of GDP spent right. on, on lifespan, which is constantly declining in the last five years. So, and then I, so I used my Russian family name and then the whole conversation, like every first 20 minutes of every conversation was, what about your leader? What about the country? What about vodka? What about uh, mm-hmm. bears on the street? So can I have this conversation? Yes, I can, right? So, but then you start with almost like negative consideration and then you turn it to neutral and positive and it's like hard work on the first 30 minutes <laughs> of every conversation. Okay. And it was pretty detrimental for my mission, right? Cause what I want yeah. to concentrate on about bright future, what we can do today, what are the choices that we're facing today rather than explaining this whole Russia story. Mm-hmm. So what I thought, uh, and I, I was just looking at Tony Robbins who said, I've created this Tony Robbins guy. So I Googled him. So apparently his family name is not Robbins. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, uh, that was the case for me. And I thought, well, if Tony can do it, right? I, what I, so I, and I met a beautiful uh, Chinese lady when we were discussing age reversal X prize competition and her family name uh, was Yang. I am married man. So I just borrowed the name from her and I'm like, you have a beautiful family name. And she said, well, come on, Sergey, we all have like our different names here because I will, if I will run on my link one four, it's just very difficult mm-hmm. to integrate into mm-hmm. the culture. So I thought, okay, I can do it as well. So what I've done uh, and for Russian men to change the family name, it's, it's like, it's a big decision. So what I've done just to, I gotta make it comfortable. For me, I registered a trademark, Sergey Young, 
I'm 100% uh, owner of this. Yeah. And um, and I just give myself an opportunity to use that. Yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah. that's well, the story. Hey, listen, you're in you're in Los Angeles right now. Oh yeah. This is like yeah. this, is, this yeah. ain't nothing but a thing here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but again, uh, it is it's not something that I hide from, but it's it's really turned my conversation from explaining the past Mm-hmm. to create in the future. Mm-hmm. And and this is what I wanted to do. Right. So we're going to get into all things longevity, the near future, the crazy latter future that awaits us, the current state of affairs and all of which is broken down beautifully in in your new book Growing Young, which I'm really enjoying. It's actually a much breezier read than I was expecting. Yeah. Like the, you have your scientific, you know, rabbit holes that you go down yeah. from time to time, but overall um, it's kind of a page turner for the subject matter that you're tackling with all of this. It is. The biggest challenge was to just to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And we we literally took out the chapter on theories of aging, because in the end of the, of the day, we don't have like the theory and it was 40 pages of hard science. So in the end, we just end up with explaining the hallmarks, like mm-hmm. what are the roots of aging and uh, confirming that we still don't have an answer. Yeah. Well, aging, anti-aging, longevity are themes that we've explored pretty extensively here on the show. I've had your friend David Sinclair yeah. on a couple times and I've had Dan Butner, the Blue Zones guy here. Like we talk about this a lot, but one area that we haven't really kind of cast our glance on is this future imagining that the book opens up with, which is right out of a movie. Like mm. walk me through yeah. like to me, it feels quite Pollyanna, but I want to hear your perspective on on this sort of optimistic perspective that you have on how all of this could play out in the next yeah. 50, 100, 200 years. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, so I call it Far Horizon or like Horizon Free. So, well, first of all, I must say that I'm, I'm waiting for this with combination of excitement and fear as well. There's so many things that we need to solve on this planet before we actually can enjoy living in, in a human body 2.0 mm-hmm. version. Uh, so, uh, but, so that's one. Uh, two is, is, is a bit far away. It's 25 to 50 years from now. It's, we, we don't need to decide you know, everything on how it will look like. But when I see the future, it's a future when we will have an opportunity to redefine what human body and mind means. And for me, it's, it's a very positive problem. So we're gonna switch from biological view of human body into more engineering view, like an old car metaphor, when you, you can extend resource of the old car, just replacing like the parts. So my future is about our ability to regenerate organs, ability to alter our genes, when we, and we already know 3000 genes in our DNA, which are responsible for aging processes, which starts probably after age of 20, 25 in our life. My future is about internet of body. When we are full of sensors who are helping us to prevent diseases by identifying the very early stage of it, like a cancer, cancer or heart disease, etc. And we live in there, so we we already have some wearables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a bunch on you yeah, right I now, have, right? Yeah, yeah so, you're covered in, yeah, in so, wearable technology. Well, that's, that's, that's a zero zero patch, right? So that's um, what does that mean? So basically, it's it's just doing electrocardiogram of your heart for seven days in a row, 
and it's very reliable way to monitor your heart performance mm -hmm. rather than one of AKG that you can do. It's, um, well, it's just seven days and nights of your heart work. Uh, so you just, uh, it's re recorded here on the CEO so page. So it's not, it doesn't sync to an app on your phone uh, or well, anything like that. Not yet, but Eventually in, in, it in would. few years yeah. time, there's, there's no, uh, obstacles for this mm. to integrate, like uh, you know, I have glucose monitor here, and, and is that I'm not, from levels. Do you have the levels one? Uh, yeah, I'm actually I, I order levels, uh, but right now I think it's a different producer. Uh -huh. uh, I just had my annual checkup this Tuesday. I'm 49. Everything is fine. I can run another 151 years. Uh, but then, so coming back to your question, Rich. Uh, so for me. The future is also about internet of body, about our ability to detect the disease before it's even manifest itself, mm -hmm. developed itself. My future is about helping people who are suffering today from neurogenerative diseases by supplementing and helping their brain to work through brain computer AI integration. So for me, it's not a cyborg thing. For me, it's, um, is an opportunity to help people in their like 80s, 90s, to actually have a clear mind and then enjoy their life, not to be in a fragile stage. And well, the other piece of it is human avatars. We are Longevity Vision Fund in my fund, which supports affordable and accessible version of longevity and digital health. We look at few human avatars projects, but we still undecided whether it's gonna be like robotic avatar route or virtual avatar route. Because virtual, it's just much easier to replicate ourselves uh, in the virtual world. I, I just couldn't really accept that as a person, as a human being. So I would love us to stay in the real world. But um, well, that's uh, that might be there. So there's, there's yeah. plenty of things which gonna happen. Well, I wanna walk through all of these technological advances mm. in, in a serial fashion. But before we wade any deeper into this, perhaps we should define our terms a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, how do you think about longevity? Cause that means different things to different people. Yeah, uh, that's true. Well, remember, I'm, I'm really interested in developing a solution which are accessible for as many people as possible. So my definition of longevity is intentionally broad. Whatever increase the average health span and lifespan on earth is longevity for me. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons behind that, partly because aging is not considered as disease in official terms. So you couldn't really invest in aging and have your investments protected, pay off your billions of dollars if you want to invest in that. Uh, but partly because you need to be intentionally brought and work with a health span uh, to make sure the years that we add to someone's life are healthy and happy years and not necessarily like right. you're just adding five to 10 years to yeah, the yeah, end yeah. of that. That's the so key. that's my definition of that's longevity. So in terms of kind of where we're at right now and what we're on the cusp of, there's a variety of mm. buckets here. And it's super interesting. You know, you're talking about your wearables. You know, I'm wearing a whoop strap. Mm. I think you have an aura ring on. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you, what do you have four, three or four? Well, you also have an Apple watch. So yeah. that's doing whatever it's doing. We're only gonna see the expansion of these devices and the refinement of them until we reach some inflection point where all our biomarkers are not only getting tracked in real time, mm -hmm. they're getting uploaded to some cloud and they're being computed yeah. alongside these other massive data sets. Yeah. The numbers are getting crunched and some AI is getting a really refined 
glimpse or picture of what human health is. And that of course leads us into this new field of not only early detection, but um, early diagnosis and the ability to kind of catch things before they even get to a certain point where they become malignant or yeah. problematic yeah. for the human yeah. body. Well, when you have a less, well, pretty lower chances of recovery, like stage four cancer is probably 20 to 30% recovery rates. Stage one, like early detected cancer gives you 93 to 100% recovery chances. So that's the case, but uh, I mean, you're right. This is the future that we aiming for. We're working towards. So with that, I mean, there's all sorts of, there's a whole ethical, you know, sort of discussion that I want to yeah. have with you, but we can kind of table that. This for is right my favorite now. topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the morality this. of immortality. Um, no, this is, yeah, this is, this, that, I read that chapter twice because this is what I really want to talk about with you. But what is, what are we looking at? in the next, you know, five or so mm. years in terms of where this wearable technology is because it's some of it's better than others. Um, you can tell that this is in a, a, you know, to kind of extend the age metaphor in its embryonic state yeah. in terms of its maturity and its ability to really provide you with accurate information yeah. that's that's that has a practical application for the individual. Obviously the data is what's most important to the companies yeah. that are creating yeah. these, yeah. but in terms of of how we use this data to improve our lives, like where's that heading and kind of what's next in terms of what we can expect? Well, let's, that's just a lot of thoughts around this question. So one is one third of the world data is healthcare related. Well, that's a lot, right? And, mm-hmm. and this is great, it's a great opportunity. Second is, well, it's, an, it's almost like an anecdote. I think it was UK health regulator who just prohibited the purchase of fax machines for hospitals. And like, when was the last time you, you I mean, you've <laughs> yeah. seen fax machine. <laughs> that's, and, that's more of a glimpse into like where we're at in terms of yeah, modernizing yeah. And, 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 well, our systems. Well, that's again, every risk is an opportunity. So both in US and UK, up to in some of the cases, up to seventy percent of the data transfer is happening through fax machine, and it's mm. I, I think That's it's insane. ridiculous. Yeah, That's it is. Insane. So, in the future, the data is an opportunity, and I do believe that. And I'm always saying that the largest healthcare companies on earth, in ten years' time, going to be Amazon, Apple, sure. Uh, Microsoft or whatever the big tech uh, who are interested and in, and in engaging in the healthcare space. So the change will come not from us or the old players doing new things. The change will come from new players doing new things. Well, and that's exactly the beauty of wearables and its ability to to collect data and then store it in cloud and then artificial intelligence pre-analyze that. So think about like wearables that, that we have. I do believe that in the next two to three years, we'll add few important features to measure like our glucose to measure our blood pressure. And then if you add it to what, what you can measure today, well, that's, I do think it's 90 to 95% of the health data you need to measure on ongoing basis about your body. Uh, there's, there's little human interaction needed in actually analyzing all of that. Mm-hmm. Even today, early like liquid biopsy, early cancer diagnostic companies just run exactly the same procedure, data, cloud, AI, and then feedback loop to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, that's, I, I do think it's an opportunity and it's gonna be much more uh, kind of friendly, um, integrated version of wearables for all of us. Uh, and again, this will help us to fight, uh, as I call killer monster diseases, like heart disease, uh, cancer, diabetes, 
and it's probably after the age of 50, this, uh, these three diseases are responsible for about 70, 75% of that. So, mm-hmm. and they're all preventable. Mm-hmm. Uh, moreover, the cost of all of this gonna decrease exponentially. So we at Longevity Vision Fund, when we invest in technologies like this, the optimization gain is not 10 to 20%, but 10, 20, 50 times mm-hmm. against current technology. Right. So it's much more efficient and cheaper version of the healthcare and the paradigm gonna be like super preventive, super personalized rather than one size fits all at ridiculous prices. Yeah. I feel like the pandemic uh, really accelerated this process. Yeah, yeah, it no was doubt. like gasoline on this fire from telemedicine mm. to obviously the introduction or the, the the heightened interest of the tech giants getting into this. Yeah. Of course, Amazon being you know the obvious oh, yeah. player who's gonna move in here in a big way. I just know from wearing a whoop strap, like, mm-hmm. oh, the, you know, you'd get emails like, pay attention to your respiratory rate. If you see a wild swing, like that could be an early indicator of being sick. And I think this is only going to be more ubiquitous. I mean, levels, when you look at it, they're predicting something like 30% of Americans are gonna be diabetic or pre-diabetic oh, yeah. by 2050. So yeah. blood glucose monitoring is gonna be just basically something that most people are gonna be doing, especially as the price point comes down. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's amazing. And if you look at the whoops of this world, it, this will transform itself from being like activity tracker to our very own personalized healthcare device. So that's why, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I was not a big fan of wearables, even three to four years ago. I really just forced myself to use it like Oura Ring, like you know, whoop that you're having, um, just to make sure I, I start to collect the data and form like a database of my own health indicators. So this is just gonna change our ability to uh, control our health, but also it gives us an opportunity to take responsibility back because think about this. I do believe like 95% of our health choices today are delegated to other companies and uh, other players. And they're not necessarily doing this in our own interest from regulators to you know big food producers, healthcare providers, the mm-hmm. overall healthcare, healthcare system. It's a sticky wicket. I mean, it's a tangled knot of vested interests and cronyism and just a massive Byzantine bureaucracy that, you know, well-intentioned politicians are yeah. always trying to, you know, make malleable and always come up short. I mean, I know that's a big part of your mission is like, how do we revamp healthcare? How do we create mm-hmm. a system that that is compatible with this modern age and the power of these technologies that we have to revolutionize how we think about not just aging, but preventing and and diagnosing and treating disease. Yeah, I agree with you. And what we have today is I call it the system of collective irresponsibility because no one is really responsible for making sure you have healthy choices along your life road. And, and it's partly because we don't feel that we can manage that. And I do think the arrival of wearables, of more data-driven medicine, it give us this opportunity to feel in control, to feel responsible for health choices. Yeah, I mean, so much of it is environmental though, because those healthy choices are not as easily accessible as the vending machine or the drive-through. Oh, this is my biggest pain, right? And and it's and I do think it's it's really unfair to the people, specifically here in US, right? When we spend 18% of GDP on healthcare, again, 
three, at least three out of last five years lifespan was decreasing. We're like the only developed country on earth which has its lifespan decreasing. And um, what is happening? Like 70% of um, antibiotics is consumed not by people, but poor animals. animals. Yeah. And, and I, so I just had a chat with, uh, with the CEO and uh, head of science at Human Longevity Center in San Diego when I do mm -hmm. my annual checkup. And, and I was just asking guys, what, what is your biggest worry about US uh, nation? And I kind of thought it's a sugar because we just consume enormous amount of sugar against our interest in the form of, um, well, different uh, foods, but mostly sugar drinks. And to my surprise, they said, you know what, Sergey, the, the biggest problem is actually antibiotics resistant, mm -hmm. developed by the fact that people just have still have this habit to consuming meat and fish, which is made in, in very cruel uh, industrial terms and uh, has things which shouldn't be there, like growth hormones, uh, antibiotics, equally bacteria. And, and it's so calorie intensive. It actually works against your longevity because there's a lot of disagreement in, in the science world, what actually today, what actually give you an opportunity to extend your life. Uh, but there's almost one agreement that, that decreasing your calories intake mm -hmm. uh, is the best way to add at least two, four, five healthy and happy years. And like just consuming this whole you know, animal protein thing, increase your calorie intake by what, 50 to 100%. So if you on a plant-based, well, that's like the easiest way for you to manage this whole thing without torturing yourself with like everyday choices. Can I eat that or not? I'm, so for me, default choice, I'm like, as plant-based as possible. Yeah. Because even if, if I eat like a half of this table of vegetables, I'm still gonna be fine. And there's, it's just healthy on, on so many fronts for your mind and your body. So I run on vegetables. Yeah. All right, you, now you're speaking my language. Okay, <laughs> yeah. you know, let's do I'm all about that. So we're on the same page as far as that, as far as that is concerned. I'm interested in how, I mean, you have a, you have a lens on the US healthcare system, mm. you know, where we've gone awry. How does that square with with how Russia handles it? Like what yeah, are the differences so, there? Yeah, so I, I'm more knowledgeable in how it's done in UK because I'm part of um, UK parliamentary group on national longevity strategy mm. and Singapore because I have a lot of friends. I'm actually doing a presentation on, on uh, in July to Singapore authorities to make the first countrywide longevity program for the whole country. I'm actually, my resolution for this year to find a country which I can change. And uh, so that's why I'm working with UK and Singapore. Well, Singapore spends 5% of its GDP on healthcare. And this is together with Japan, this is the highest lifespan, average lifespan that you have in, in the world. Mm. So compare it with like 18% that we spend here. So that's, that's one. Two is, we need to accept that um, to stay on longevity bridge and enjoy all these technologies that, that I have in the near horizon, in horizon two, which will be available to us widely in five, 10, 15 years, you need to make a change today, right? To be healthy and happy in 15 years time to enjoy all of this. And a lot of these choices are about your, your own lifestyle. So what is your diet? What is the level of your physical activity? Uh, how peaceful is your mind? Because every time we talk about our own health, we tend to defer to physical health while mental is, is equally important uh, to that. So that's why when 
when we do a change program for huge corporation, and again, it's all pro bono. Um, everything I do in longevity is, is me sharing the best of me with the world. So when we do a program, like a corporate longevity program, largest I've done was three for 300,000 people in like 29 countries. Uh, we just work through the five buckets. One is uh, like annual checkup. And, and, the, and the composition of this has changed dramatically in the last five years. Bad habits like no smoking, you know, no alcohol. Um, a, a lot of this kind of stupid mistakes that we do in terms of the bad habits. Third is about diet changing, everything in the vending machines, in the canteen. So people have more plant-based choices. Mm -hmm. And I was also actually insisting that they have like uh, vegetables Fridays and Mondays, but uh, I haven't found any big company who is just comfortable with, with you know, narrowing down the choice to vegetables only, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm, yeah. this is- it, It's it, tough, we can't get the fast food restaurants out of a lot of the hospitals. Oh yeah. I mean, it's insane, yeah. right? Yeah, or so, schools, right? yeah. So that's the third one. Fourth is physical activity, leveraging variables, even the current version of Whoops or Fitbits or Apple Watch um, to, measure uh, the steps, like 10,000 steps a day. And that builds up like department by department, business unit to business unit, country competing with country, who's done more steps. That's exciting. And fifth is, is um, peace of mind, which is uh, a lot of things. I, I call it think and grow young, which is sleep. And I know you have Matthew mm -hmm. Walker mm -hmm. on, uh, on your podcast. His book changed the, my whole approach to sleep. I, I was it's just- crazy, right? It is like, yeah. I was just looking at my sleep hours as like endless credit where I can borrow uh, the hours. And apparently, I think in this research came up like last month that if you sleep like five to six hours a day, your chances to get Alzheimer is like 40% right. higher. So then it's meditation because we all have extremely high cortisol level. Our body and mind were never designed to handle amount of stress that we have here. And like having access to constantly negative news uh, that we have around us um, is pretty bad. And then it's a lot of different things like act of kindness, sense of purpose that you, that you have. It's, it's very important as well. So it's, it's yeah. a little bit longer answer, but you know, all of these five buckets are important as well because human body and mind are probably the most complex thing on this planet. Sure. And, if we and, would yet, have... and yet the, uh, sorry to step on oh, your words yeah. there, but, but of the protocols you just mentioned, they're all very rudimentary, elementary, simple things that we yeah. can do now. We yeah. can talk about all the crazy future devices and wearables and the you know genetic engineering that we're gonna get into. Yeah. But fundamentally right now, do these things, take care of yourself in the best way that you know how to. And most people are already aware on some level of yeah. all of these things. It's a matter of implementing them into your life. But the one piece, the one, the, the one bucket there that you mentioned, that I'm not sure we've talked enough about, at least on this podcast, is this idea of getting these, you know, consistently getting checkups so that if you have a problem, yeah. you're in an early yeah. detection yeah. phase. And I think that's in part informed by, on some level, a distrust of the medical establishment. Mm -hmm. I mean, your own personal story of going to the oh, doctor yeah. and just yeah. being prescribed, like Statins. here, take this and you're oh, good. And the inquiry doesn't really extend beyond that, right? Yeah. Hopefully, as scanning and you know testing diagnostics improve, we'll be better at that early detection phase. But I just know for myself, I'm like, when I go to the doctor, he's going to take my blood. He's going to say whatever. I'm like, what am I really yeah. going to get out of that? Yeah. Am I really going to, uh, you know, put myself in a position where 
if I do have some latent condition and it's early phase that it will even be detected. Yeah, so things have changed dramatically in, in, uh, in this uh, field. Like right now, I mean, you can do like full body MRI and the current version of these devices is like as precise as possible. They actually upgrade the, the software there every six months. So just a few years ago, when I started to do my checkups, it was radiologists looking through my scans and human being without support from computer is successful in terms of detecting probably, uh, yeah, as far as I recall, 38% of early stage cancer cases just based on the review of the scans. But if you empower this radiologist with artificial intelligence, and it's not, it's not either or, it's not mutually exclusive, like people think. It's actually a combination of human and artificial intelligence. Success rate is 98 to 99%. Mm. Well, that's, that's amazing. And it's also, it's becoming less invasive, right? Just a few years to check colon cancer. It's like, few thousand dollars procedure, it's invasive, you do it under sedation. Right now we have Cologuard, $19 and that's it. And it's, it's as precise mm. as, um, as the procedure you do a few years ago. And uh, it's just amazing how, you know, like for $19, how you can avoid like one of the largest risk of your life getting the colon cancer. Because usually it's manifest itself at a very late stage. Yeah. So a lot of discoveries is actually stage four cancer when uh, recovery rates are uh, very low. And, or this thing like, you know, Zeopatch, which will mm -hmm. kind of measure uh, the work of your heart. So I do think it's time for us to change our view on, on what is actually um, almost any healthcare provider has to offer to us because of the speed of technological development and, and scientific development is just, accelerated. Right. It is crazy how humans, I mean, once you, if you were to get cancer, you would spend any amount of money that you have yeah. in order to yeah. eradicate it, but we won't spend the $19 for the test. Yeah, it's, you know? uh, yeah I, I, I actually find it really counterintuitive. And uh, every proactive treatment is at least 10 to 20 times cheaper uh, than treating like post factum treating disease at the late stage one and then recovery rates like in terms of impact on on the quality of your life it's just amazing so my father had um, lung cancer back in 2005 and he survived but the guy just shrunk in size by one third and his quality of life never recovered and and this is not the type of longevity that we all you know, want to have. So it, it, we just influence our health uh, in an advanced manner. Well, this, uh, well, that's one, well, it's this separate issue and separate aspect of that. I don't wanna, if you wanna go to that, the version of medicine that you will find in the hospital next door is 17 years old. Well, that's, that's the time between approval of something until it gets, kind of distributed and available yeah. in the healthcare system. So think about, you just, you go there and like what is offered to you is dated, what, in the year 2000? Well, that's another problem. I'm still kind of thinking how to solve it. But again, it is about different players disrupting this whole thing. It's not about making efficient current system. Yeah, sure. So you can't, you can't just focus on the technological innovation without tackling the regulatory oh, landscape. Oh, I mean, yeah. that is, those things go, hand in hand because you'll never get out of the gate with anything in, exactly. in terms of you know implementation if you can't deal with the regulatory. And that's, 
perhaps the bigger hurdle here. You do have all these startup companies mm -hmm. who are coming on board. I presume a lot of them will end up getting absorbed by the larger te yeah. tech companies as they consolidate here. Um, but the governmental piece is is really the the Mount Everest of yeah. Yeah. enacting positive change. Yeah, that's true. Well, the biggest change that we can do is just accepting in, in regulatory terms, accepting aging as disease because this will give you like a framework for investment. Because I'm always saying that, that longevity and uh, age reversal is like a next uh, cancer case. We're right in the middle of winning the war against cancer. You think about 20 years ago, people were deferring the, deferring the date of their uh, cancer screening because if they had a cancer, it's almost like kiss yeah. of death. Yeah, that, that's yeah. There's, there's a psychological piece there. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Most people are just like, I don't want to know, you know, yeah. or I'm too afraid to find to out because the then truth. suddenly my life's going to change yeah. and but I don't. I'll just pretend it's not the case anymore. Uh, so we again, early stage cancer diagnostic gives you 93 to 100 percent chances to recover, and we still have this kind of old 20 years old mm -hmm. mentality to face that. Well, you're talking about classifying aging as a disease. That's something I talked about mm -hmm. with, with David on the show about, I mean, there's a hurdle in just getting people's minds around that, right? Which is, I would suspect one reason why you wanna go to a smaller country like Singapore mm -hmm. or what have you, yeah. where you can run kind of a pilot program, um, easier to, you know, sort of test the waters and enact change in a smaller situation rather than just, you know, trying to combat the powers that be in, in yeah. Washington. Yeah, know? that's true. Right? Yeah, that's true. Kind of like how is it El Salvador or Ecuador where Bitcoin just became like legal tender? Yeah. Like yeah. it's just, you know, do yeah. it in a smaller country yeah. and then, you know, the dominoes begin to fall from yeah. there. Yeah. That's but true. on that idea of aging as a disease, like where are we in terms like if you go to Capitol Hill and you're, you know, testifying before Congress on these issues, like getting those people to wrap their heads around that, I mean, good luck. Oh yeah, it was probably the most difficult challenge that I've, uh, challenge I've ever faced, and and we we all longevity related uh, scientific and technological community are struggling with that, and um, again, I still don't know the answer, uh, but what I do know that. With the age, your chances to get heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes uh, are exponentially higher. Uh, look at the recent COVID example. Unfortunately, COVID were detrimental for the old part of population. So there's, there's a clear case behind it because if you go to Walgreens or CVS today and you ask for drug against aging, they would think you're crazy or they will send you to cosmetics or supplements. And, and this is counterintuitive. So I do think we would need to change it. Good news, I think it was back in 2018, World Health Organization actually had a special code for, for aging and like uh, age-related diseases risk in its uh, global, uh, like a directory of uh, diseases. Uh, and I do think with just consistent work in terms of establishing dialogue with, with Washington DC, and what FDA or uh, any other government bodies uh, has to offer and has to listen, it's just, uh, it's gonna be there. So mm -hmm. I don't really know when will happen. My, if you ask me, I do think there's just some few smaller countries in the world will accept this, uh, will create the viable economic model for investments in longevity and this will happen. Because cancer today is $100 billion of research and development money funded every year to fight cancer. And that's why six out of 10 
US biggest revenue drugs uh, are oncology drugs. Back in 2008, it was statins. Remember my story, mm -hmm. uh, Viagra and only one oncology drug. Right now it's six out of 10. So th the same should happen in, in fighting aging and age-related disease. Right now, longevity is one or two billion uh, dollar investments every year. So when I set up Longevity Vision Fund with hundred million dollars, this is not my money, this is money of investors. People thought that, uh, you know, we just crazy. We became, imagine, largest longevity focused fund in the world with 100 million in financial industry terms. This is the most That's insignificant yeah. amount of money yeah. they can have. And again, people thought we just, uh, we're doing a lot of stupid things, but things have changed in the last two to three years. And again, I agree with you, Rich, that COVID has accelerated uh, a lot of the mind shift and uh, basically created a showcase of so many different technologies which mm -hmm. can help us from virus genome sequencing that we've done in a couple of days. I mean, that was the next thing I wanted to talk about. The other piece, you know, in this near horizon, in this effort to kind of normalize the idea of growing to 150 years old, in addition to the wearables and the big data mm. sets and the early, the, the diagnostics and the early detection is this genetic engineering yeah. piece. Yeah, so before we go into like te technological and, and scientific aspect of that, there's, there's a huge ethical debate and trade-offs that we need to sort out before we actually embrace uh, that. In fact, my belief that in 10, 20 years time, when the science and technology will be there, ethics and regulation will not be there to embrace and accept that. Mm -hmm. that that's, that's gonna be our biggest obstacles. And that's why morality of immortality discussion is so important. How do we need to change the world for us to embrace the idea of living longer. Again, separate uh, topic. So think about what has happened in, in gene editing and gene therapy front um, in the last 10 to 20 years. We've been able to sequence our genome. We, right now we know 3000 genes which are responsible for the aging processes in our body. And just a, probably a decade ago, gene therapy was a tool to help people with the rare genetic diseases. Some of them, it was a group of 100 or 200 people all around the world mm -hmm. suffering from this extremely rare genetic disease. So this is where we were uh, 10 plus years from now. So then probably five years uh, ago, we the, the portfolio of gene therapies against rare genetic disease really expanded again against rare disease. So right now we can help 400 million people who suffer from rare diseases all around the world. It's called rare, but it's not rare at all. It's 400 million people on this planet. That's a lot. And then we just seen the cases of um, gene therapy addressing much broader issues like vaccines that we that we have mm -hmm. against COVID are typical example of gene therapy. We just don't recognize that this is the move which kind of help us to happen uh, to and to address COVID. Or the, there's the other drug, I don't wanna kind of mention its name, which lowers your cholesterol level, not statin. You just do this every six months and it's the addressable market for this is 40% of people on this planet who has elevated cholesterol level. So we just, in the course of 10 plus years, we've moved from something very niche, risky, uh, to the tool and, and the technology which can help half of the planet. And this is how fast 
the pace of, of the progress uh, is. But again, uh, when I think about gene editing and gene therapy, I'm more focused on helping people who suffer rather than going into kind of sci-fi territory. Like when, Gattaca when, territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When people think, you know. But that's, what, I mean, this is a part of it. Mm-hmm. We, we might have to have the morality discussion sooner rather than later yeah. because it, 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 it really does impact everything that we're talking about. I mean, when you're talking about genetic engineering, it wasn't that long ago where it cost billions of dollars to do this mapping. Yeah. And now it's very cheap and fast and affordable. But it continues to, you know, grow and expand and 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 evolve. And now we're into this prime editing phase of it, right? Which is yeah. kind of the the evolution of. Explain what that is because it's pretty wild. Yeah. So there's there's number of. Um, okay. So we tend, when we talk about gene editing, we have um, uh, the the technology which is uh, in use is uh, like a CRISPR. Mm-hmm. So that's like. Uh, um, almost like genetic scissors, which cut the part of your DNA, which is not working and replace it with the, with the other. While it's, 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 it's been basically a revolution in terms of uh, our ability to uh, change our genetic code. There's so many different technologies which has been developed since that. Right. For for example, like speak to David Sinclair. He's a big fan of uh, epigenetic reprogramming, and and the fact is that uh, you don't really need to change the composition of DNA. You can just silence, or in opposite, uh, give an opportunity to certain genes to express itself, and that's that's a nicer and more safe way to address your genetic problem or well the way genes are uh, like a influencing what is happening in our body is just uh, you know proteins right the creation of different proteins with the different functions so you can have like a viral vector well that's the actual term which just goes into the cell with uh, with with the different genetic materials which produce the protein which you're missing in your body which can be, which, which basically the trigger for disease or your dysfunction or your shorter life, etc. So, and it's and it's so many things happening in gene editing and gene therapy world. Like you can take take your immune cells, like T cells, and reprogram them outside human body. It, it will be yours. So, and then you just, uh, you know, make sure it it uh, they come back to you and. Uh, and they fight cancer. This is like the definition of uh, immune oncology. And I know quite a few of people who actually were really untreatable 10 years ago, but right now with this personalized version of genetic, and when your own T cells are fighting your own cancer cells, it's uh, it's just really mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, there it's this weird stew of miraculous and terrifying because the yeah. idea that we're going in and we're snipping DNA or we're, we're you know, muting or silencing certain sequences mm. and activating others, it just makes me, there's a part of me that cringes inside because behind it all, there is a certain human spirit to be celebrated, yeah. but also a hubris that I'm not sure is, as checked as maybe it should be. You know what I mean? We yeah. always go into these things thinking, well, it's it's a binary thing. We turn this gene off yeah. or whatever it is and it'll have this A to B kind of impact, but we're not very good at looking at, 
at these things from a more holistic perspective and exactly. realizing all the downstream implications of these things that we just didn't understand or realize because we, you know, we jumped before we stepped. So I do believe in the collective wisdom and you are not alone. So if you ask, I think it was a study done five years ago in US and the UK. So when people has been offered the chance to uh, extend their lifespan, if they can, by 10 or 20 years. So we've got more than 65% people say no. Mm. So even if you say it's healthy and happy years, we have a lot of limiting beliefs and it's a lot of things that we even don't know what we don't know about this whole thing. So one of the challenges in our space is like, how do we define that? How do we communicate that this is an opportunity? How do we manage the risk? And uh, again, as, as I say uh, in uh, the morality of immortality chapter, we have created technologies to extend our life, but we haven't created the life that we want to extend. And there's so many ethical trade-offs that we need to solve uh, in terms of the, our own health and in terms of the health of the planet before the idea of life extension will be interesting and positive for you and for so many people in here in the US or uh, people yeah. on the planet. I mean, I know you're an optimist with yes. all of this stuff, <laughs> but when I kind of cast my gaze across mm -hmm. history, I don't see human beings being very good at grappling with the ethical implications of technological innovation because it's almost as if it's our biological imperative to continue to mm -hmm. iterate and invent and progress. And we give lip service to the idea of should we or should we not do this, yep. but ultimately it's gonna happen no matter what, right? And I'd like to think that yes, we're gonna put together a Manhattan Project type brain trust to really think about, you know, the profound, unbelievably profound implications of this vein of science. Um, and hopefully there's lots of smart people like yourself who are thinking about this and, and working on it but it's so intertwined with every other challenge that we're facing yeah. and every other you know, existential threat to the future of the planet and humanity that I can easily descend into a more despairing view of yeah. how this is gonna play out. I agree. So world shouldn't consist of Sergey Youngs. Yeah, I'm, because I'm like super optimistic guy. You know, I need to be super optimistic to fight the problem, which we haven't solved through the history of evolution or uh, a history of science, right? Uh, so that's one, there's always the, the, we need a balancing act from the public, right? From uh, people who are much more skeptical about this because they are not coming up with answers. They coming up with great questions. And this is what we, so my concern is that we're working on this science and technology of that and no one is working on the ethical side right. of it. And please don't, Make, you know, make me responsible for that. I, I think it's our common problem. And I also agree with you, Rich, that we don't have a choice. I mean, this is happening. It's not like you, we can sit down and decide what is gonna happen and whether we'll just accept the fact that, or uh, you know, approve this whole thing. This is happening. Silver tsunami is happening. Development of genetic and gene therapy technologies is happening. Increase of the lifespan is happening. 100 years ago, the average lifespan on earth was what, 35 years. Right now, it's again for developed countries, it's 75. No one ever had a debate like, can we allow this to happen or not? So in a way, this is a trajectory. And, and what, I, what I 
would like to do is for us to start a conversation, start a thinking process about how the world should change, how our relationship with modern nature should change, how our ethical norms, social constructs uh, needs to change. Mm -hmm. I would nominate Yuval Noah Harari to be in charge of that (laughs) inquiry. Yeah, but we need to have a diversity of uh, uh, opinions. I think Yuval has uh, a little bit more uh, like a dramatic view of our future, specifically uh, just deri- which derives from change in um, healthcare and like genetic uh, genetic technologies. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, it's not up to me to decide, but it's just, it's a, our collective problem. It's our collective discussion. It's our collective choice, right? right. Yeah, and the same goes to, again, like using plastics or allowing dictatorships to happen or just how we think about social constructs like marriage. Mm -hmm. All of which are in play and in flux as these technologies become more mature. I mean, beyond this, this, you know, shorter, shorter window, this shorter horizon, you know, the other section of your book is about this uh, more expanded horizon of things that, you know, they're kind of in their infant state that you're predicting are gonna be realities and, I don't know how long the window is here, but it gets pretty crazy, right? It is. We're talking about, you know, not just things like organ regeneration and, you know, growing new body parts like yep. the way that we're cultivating um, cellular yep. meat right yep. now, but the idea of teleexistence and AI brain integration and uploading your consciousness to the cloud, like yep. the stuff that is truly of science fiction and yeah. some kind of utopian Philip Dick meets Aubrey de Grey yeah. scenario. Yeah, but it's just like, well, let's just balance that. So imagine our conversation happening back in 1990. I mean, we humans are really bad with like predicting the future. So in a way, my I don't wanna predict the future with, um, which should be like as precise as 100%. The only reason why I'm trying to predict the future and highlight all these technologies is to, for us to start thinking and making these choices today to make sure that we are comfortable with you know, all this scientific, technological, societal progress that we have. Because to solve a problem of plastic, to solve a problem of industrial production of meat, you don't need to wait for 2050. It should be solved right now. And I'm happy there's just a lot of technologies and, and innovations happening in the space like plant-based meat, mm-hmm. right? Which, is, uh, which will change the landscape uh, pretty significantly. But again, for me, it's a wake-up call, like predicting the future is a wake-up call that we need to have today. I have Bruce Friedrich coming tomorrow, who's from this organization called the Good Food Institute. And oh, he's, yeah. he's at the center of this whole yeah, cellular yeah. meat and plant-based meat. We need more people innovation. like that. Indeed, but on this idea, like it's such an amazing provocative, I call it a thought experiment. You would call it a future reality to just consider the implications of living to 200 mm. and beyond that, the the possibility of being immortal. I mean, these are questions that humanity has yeah. reckoned with and wrestled yeah. with, you know, as far as we've been a thing, right? Okay. And the idea of should we is is really amazing, right? And you kind of walk through like let's mm. have the ethical conversation. Yeah. Like, should we do this? Like what happens to humanity? What happens to the human psyche mm. when you wake up in the morning? Yeah. 
and you have a choice for just how long yeah. you want to live. Yeah, uh, there's a few things there. Um, one, I, I just wanted to be upfront. I'm not a big fan of immortality, right? Because I do think if you take out the death from the human life cycle, we are not going to be humans. Life is meaningless in lockstep with its preciousness. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's my thought. Well, the second thought, I think it's very unlikely that we will have a moment in our life when we will reach the point when when you just in one day you decide are you going to be immortal or not. It's going to be serious of your life extension decisions, which you do like every five to ten years. So that's change your perspective. You would actually be much more in control to defining the quantity, but also the quality of your life. So this this is what's gonna happen in the future, which actually raises one of the questions that, that I ask uh, in the book. So your decision to extend your life or not is considered in our society and culture is considered a suicide or playing God. Mm-hmm. And then my my related question like, will we have like a bravery to make this decision? You know, when I think about this in my own terms, I would just hate the idea of like, you know, I need to decide on my own about this. So that's, this actually, you know, makes my mind uh, It's hard crazy. to imagine yeah, unless you're in that situation, yeah. how you would process yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So there's just, and it's again, it's uh, just one of the questions. There's more of that. So if we're gonna be living 200 years, for example. Like paint the picture of what this looks like. Yeah. Uh, so then, so what's gonna happen with our marriages? So right now, depending on the country, two thirds of the marriages going through divorce in the first three, five or seven years after the mar- uh, wedding. So uh, what will happen with uh, with the family, right? With, with marriage as institution, will we consider more like a kids raising partnership Thing, mm. uh, and again, I, I don't yeah, know the like, answer. Are we going to be married for 150 years? Yeah, so yeah. it's it's very difficult to imagine. So, and and this is or think about your career. Should our life consist of several beautiful mini lives? Well, that's uh, that's the question, and and just a lot of constructs in our society are not really supporting this this whole idea of the longer life. And I do think since as we discussed, our lifespan increased uh, twofold in the last hundred years, I don't we've done any kind of rethinking on, on how our society is structured on, uh, in this regard. Yeah, I mean, there's so many questions. There is the question of, of you know, what is the meaning of all of this if it, proceeds indefinitely, like mm-hmm. what is God? What is faith? Yeah. There's the more practical considerations of how does this impact the environment oh, of yeah. a planet Th- this that is my favorite subsists one. on you know, a limited amount of resources. We're talking about living longer, which means more people. You have a whole thing about you know, reducing the, the birth rate and this notion that actually population is going to decrease, yeah. which I struggle with, you know, comprehending or understanding or agreeing with. So we'll just talk a a little bit about this. So there's a good study, uh, I think published last, well, early last year. Uh, So if you look at reproduction rates all around the planet, um, we, for every woman, um, it's below two. So that's basically less than, you know, kind of two kids per family in, I don't remember the figure for uh, US, but it's probably somewhere around 1.5, like, 
some of the places like Poland, it's actually 1.3. So we are, if you look at it, and you put all of this in a, in a mathematical model, the population of Earth gonna peak at somewhere around 10 or 11 billion by year 2050, and then it's gonna decrease. The so China will lose, uh, will, it will population of China will gonna decrease from 1.4 billion to 800 million people uh, by the end of this century. And, and the same will happen everywhere with exception of Africa. They still have African continent and countries there. They still have pretty high uh, reproduction rates. That foundation, the foundation of that idea is premised on raising the standard of living, right? Like the more that yeah. you educate people, the oh, more yeah. that you, and this is why Paul Hawkins big thing in drawdown is educating girls. So the more educated yeah. the women are, the less likely they are to have as oh, many yeah. children. Yeah. So as you raise that floor, then you're looking at one or two kids at most. If you get it down to one, then we're in a declining population Yeah, situation. well, if you're going down to, because Just remember they two. need to do a job like for, for uh, her and her husband. Right. And obviously there's, there's a different trend. We, we, we can see, we see decoupling like our, our reproductive function from our kind of life. It's just a lot of on technological front in terms of um, uh, our ability to have babies without actually, you know, being your like mother of this. Uh, but what I was about to say is um, uh, this whole thing is is happening, and um, our reproduction rate has been in decline, and simply because people have more choice. There's there are just more alternatives, and it's it's good that they they using that. But again, it's you don't want to live in a world like. I think it was Singapore figure, like 25% of the people of, of population of Singapore is already 65 plus. Mm -hmm. So you need to respond to that. And same, same happening in Japan, same will happen in US. So we need to work with the increasing quality of life of the people who are in, in all stage. And the way to address that is, is addressing health span because we need to increase health span in parallel with, with what is happening now, increase of the lifespan as well. So that's one. And there's external component to that. Your own health is important, but the health of the planet is important as well. Because many of us behave in a way that we just ignore, we don't take responsibility uh, for what what's our relationship with mother nature is because simply the old mentality is like, you know, I will not be alive then and and this thing will mm -hmm. be sorted out by my kind of kids and, and grandkids. Sure, so the idea, if you're gonna be around a lot longer, then yeah, you're more I, I invested do build, in, Again, remember, yeah. I'm like idealist, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the I get in that, I yeah, get that part. <laughs> I, the idea is that if we face a problem that we're gonna live with consequences of our own action, uh -huh. I think this will drive a much larger uh, feeling and sense of responsibility for what we're doing. So, sure. and I, yeah, and but if you're a dude and you're around for 200 years and you had a kid 50 years ago who doesn't talk to you anymore, yeah. maybe you think maybe I should have another one, right? Yeah. Or if you're a woman and you're in this future situation mm -hmm. that you're imagining where you could actually toggle your biological age and you know, I wanna be 25 yeah. or whatever, and you're fertile for 200 years, yeah. Are you only going to have one or two kids? Yeah, we're going to have multiple generations so, of kids. That's and uh, they're all going to be living that long. Yeah. So I don't know. The math seems 
Yeah, I so I, I've done the math. So uh, I was just planning, I'm, I'm visualizing a uh -huh. lot because I do believe like my mantra is to live 200 years in 25 years old body. So that's, I'm a great believer of psychological aspect of aging. It's actually ch this change into this paradigm, mental paradigm has changed my life a lot because mm -hmm. every morning I wake up, I have like, three fourths of my life ahead of me. I can dream, I can think big, I can actually change the world in a positive way. But um, so if, if you uh, think about this one, um, I do, uh, so the math is if I'm gonna have in my like 150 years old party, so I, I just did a calculation. And if I will invite only immediate family and immediate friends, it's gonna be like 15,000 people party when I turn 150. Oh my God. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. So one thing that comes to my mind mm. when I, the, the more I think about this is the mental health piece of this. My instinct is that it would provoke an existential crisis in many because in tandem with these innovations will come basically uh, an economy driven by AI and robots who are performing a lot of the jobs that yeah. we don't have. And maybe we have a universal basic yeah, income situation, so. but like where are people gonna find meaning in their lives? And when they're gonna be living so long, how do you anchor you know, that, that quest or whatever it is that gets people excited when they wake up in the morning to go out and be in the world? How does that get anchored in a timeline that has become mm -hmm. so extended? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know that we're, we can even predict what that would feel like. Yeah, I agree. And um, uh, again, I can talk only in terms of opportunities in the future, which kind of this picture of the future give us uh, today. I'm also, again, I'm not really like the futurist who just like embrace whatever will happen there. For me, it's just important reason to have a discussion that we have today and, and go through our choices. But I, I do think it's an opportunity for us, for us, and I know it sounds idealistic, to connect to ourselves because I do believe that uh, if you take out the noise of the environment and our social norms and social pressure, we are much better, we are much, we, you know, humans are kind. Okay, so that's the opportunity to relate to your heart, to your mind, to realize your dreams, to, to do the things that you always were dreaming of doing. So that's my yeah. and, uh, opportunity to talk I, about I this. hear that. Well, let's talk about the economic implications of mm. all of this because the other piece, which is kind of a Gattaca thing, right? Or what was that other movie where they were all up in like some orbiting spacecraft where they were sleeping in pods yeah. and I can't remember it. But anyway, you know, as this plays out in science fiction, typically there's gonna be a, a, a huge underclass and there will be the 1% who have access to this type of technology to, you know, be, mm. if not immortal, live for a very long time in beautiful bodies and have access to all of these privileges that the rest of us don't. The example that you you illustrate in the book is, or the kind of thought experiment is the dictator who, you know, basically yeah. refuses to step down and is gonna be there forever. Yeah. Um, the power differential and the economic implications of this. Yeah, so I do believe that everything we've seen in terms of scientific and technological progress uh, um, in the course of like every invention in the course of 10 to 20 years becoming like super affordable. So think about the smartphone example. 
uh, like a seller of one, like 25, 30 years ago, it was thing which cost you like $10,000, probably more, it was like super heavy. Uh, right now, if you go to like electronic market in China, you're gonna pay like $9, for the working version of the smartphone. So that's why, or think about Cologuard example, uh, which helps to identify colon cancer at its extremely early stage. Well, this is a test which costs $19. So I do believe that technological and, and scientific innovation give us an opportunity not to uh, increase the gap, but as also to empower uh, and, and bring technologies and inventions which will m improve everyone's life. Mm. But again, like we just, we keep coming back to that. Uh, I, so my, I, I'm always, it's, it's funny. So I'm, I have a mission of changing 1 billion lives and it's always gonna be one person in the audience who just stand up and, and say, Sergey, why only 1 billion? We have 7 billion people on the planet and you forgot about the rest. So I, I like when people kind of make me responsible for you know, like whole problems of this world. But in a way I'm on a mission mm -hmm. to bring affordable and accessible version of health to everyone at a fraction of cost against what we pay today. Think about, you know, even if we, uh, every technology that we invest in is like 10, 20 times cheaper than today's equivalent. So think about us re releasing like 9% of US GDP and spending on some other things, right? You know, education, housing, helping, you know, making people uh, happier. I, I think the opportunity is there. Uh, and I, I don't really gonna accept the idea of, well, Sergey, well, this is your thought, but let's just like, how are you gonna solve it? I, I accept the idea, guys, I, there's something happening. Uh, and this is gonna happen whether we want it or not, like twofold increase of the lifespan that we've seen in the last hundred. Well, let's have a dialogue. Let's be active. Let's be responsible. Let's make sure we, we take back control and responsibility for our own health and the health of our planet. So mm. that's the idea. Yeah, in other words, you're confident that these difficult questions and, and problems that this will bring up are uh, well, solvable. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I do like everything we solved so far, right, in the human history. And we always have a tendency to look like a negative side of things. We always have, always have a tendency to think binary. This is black, this is white, this is mutually exclusive. Like I'm, I'm seeing a lot of doctors and, and they're like, what will happen? AI will replace me. Again, my premise is that it's all, it, it's not mutually exclusive. It's actually very complementary. Like there's a company called Intuitive Surgical. This is a huge company. They produce uh, like surgical robots, robots and, and they are brilliant in terms of, you know, doing surgeries on heart. And um, it was the head of one of the clinics, a large uh, modern clinic here in the US. So, uh, and they, before they brought the first surgical robot, there was just a lot of um, doctors who were just saying like, this thing will replace me. Mm. Imagine what has happened. So they bought this robots and they, right now they're doing four or five times more surgeries that they've done before. Mm -hmm. People are extremely busy. They hired like 50% more staff to handle the new inflow of patients because the cost of it decreased exponentially. The success rate of this increased exponentially. So this is the type of uh, thing which is uh, awaiting for us there. Uh, but so coming back to your statement, I do believe we will sort it out, but I do believe we will sort 
acted out, not just sitting and waiting, but taking active positions and taking responsibility to solving e this and many other ethical questions. Right. Among those ethical questions being privacy rights, as we as we mm -hmm. you know sort of amp up the extent to which yeah. we're you know making ourselves guinea pigs yeah. or or available for all of this data which is then being harvested, mm -hmm. where do our rights sit? And if we've learned anything from the you know, advent of big tech and the explosion of social media, mm -hmm. not exactly you know, the, the organizations that, that we feel comfortable trusting yeah. with, with having our best interests when it comes to these issues. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, that's why we have um, uh, more regulation there. I think we need to, represent our interest in uh, in a better way. And specifically structurally, if you look at US, uh, on the business side, there's so many things happening on like Pan-American level or like on a global level, because you know, Google, Amazon, Facebook are global companies. And the level of regulation is usually like on the state level or you know on the country level. So there's a huge structural mismatch about like the power of regulators mm -hmm. which should represent our rights and our opinion and the global nature and the scale of this business. Right. And, so and, and, and the relationship with privacy rights changes based on country borders. Oh yeah. So, so. that's, uh, well, that's, that's kind of one thing. Um, the other thing, and I, I know it might sound unpopular for some of our audience, uh, we already made this choice. So, I mean, you're wearing what, whoop, I'm yeah. wearing, Apple Watch, uh, you know, and uh, the convenience of of using that devices for us are much bigger than any compromise on on privacy that we get. Having said that, it does not mean that we shouldn't regulate this. We shouldn't be more protective about this uh, whole thing. So in the end, when I'm when I'm having friendly conversation, I'm telling people, you've already made this choice. Yeah, it's unsatisfying to hear that though, because I feel like it, it shouldn't be on us. And just because we sort of mindlessly stumbled into a situation when we really weren't fully apprised of the implications of it, we shouldn't have to continue to pay that toll. Yeah, that's true. And uh, well, I agree with that. And that's just another question that we need to solve because I don't wanna, um, you know, my like genetic data can can put me in a very disadvantaged position in terms of my ability to get affordable insurance. Mm -hmm. However, affordable like version of healthcare that we're trying to create, well, it's just another uh, ethical question. And uh, and again, that's why I think it's important to start this discussion now and not to wait until this will produce the undesired and disastrous outcome. The other really interesting question on this ethics discussion is the future of, of evolution. Like what does natural selection look like yeah. when we can purchase you know, our, our longevity? Mm -hmm. And that decision is based on economic factors or access factors more than anything yeah. else. And the more I think about that, the more it appears clear that the evolutionary imperative of the human being is to give birth to this artificial intelligence that then 
become subject to the laws of natural selection yeah. in a different way, right? Yeah. Like we've kind of played ourselves out mm-hmm. and now much like, you know, whatever analogy you wanna use, like a mm-hmm. caterpillar to a butterfly yeah. or whatever, we bec- we're becoming something else. And the book kind of, you know, basically illustrates that. Yeah, uh, well, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting uh, thing to realize for us. And, um, I do believe, however dramatic it sounds for us, but it's just a part of, you know, evolutionary cycle. Uh, and it's been always the case, right? And no one, you know, animals didn't really sit down and, and discuss like, will we allow uh, homo sapiens? No, you know, we're di- it doesn't matter yeah. what we think about it. Like yeah. this is just what's happening. And it this is, is what yeah. we're going to do. It is. But also the other thing, Rich, uh, which I wanted to uh, mention here, don't you think it's happening already? With us oh, saving sure. people with, yeah. uh, I mean, we're already. Disease. I mean, our, our yeah. cell phones are. You know, they're not. They're not implanted into our brains, but mm-hmm. you know, most of us won't leave. Won't go anywhere without it. It, yeah. it, it is an appendage. Yeah, I'm actually, and and there's another uh, risky aspect of that. Like our over reliance on technology is. I, I do think it opens up the other risk area, like. You know what will happen with uh, if something will just really like a black swan, or something will happen in terms of the ability of these devices to operate, like a huge electromagnetic wave from the space, mm. something happening on the sun. We're so yeah, and we're like unprepared upon, yeah. to live in mm. our today's world when you can <laughs> use your hands to grow your tomatoes as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then. Uh, well, that's, that's the other case. But I do believe uh-huh. that we changed the law of evolution many decades ago when we, with us. And I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, you know, saving people who would like hundred years ago would just die because of their genetic disease or because they couldn't really fight with virus. Uh, this is happening. And that's why, I, and I do believe if you wanna be positive about this, I'm not sure you want, but um, in, in the history of evolution, this skill and the talent which is required to, to win in, in evolutionary process has been always different. I mean, in one stage, you, you should be like super hunter. On the other stage, you should just be good in, in agriculture. In the other uh, stage, you should be good in like working in a factory, like repetitive job. Right now you can have like diversity of options, like how you use your talent and, uh, and you shouldn't really suffer because you were unlucky in genetic lottery. So I do believe we, we have more choices, but again, having more choices gives you more uh, like responsibility right. on your shoulders, which particular one you choose and how like eco-friendly this for people around you and the planet. Mm. As we move towards these digital avatars and tele-existence, it gets super crazy in terms of being able to essentially be in two places at one time yeah. or transport your consciousness yeah. and you know whether or not we're gonna be able to have brain transplants or virtual reality experiences that are so real that our physical bodies are no longer carrying the meaning yeah. that we attribute to them. The extension of that moral landscape inevitably leads to grappling with the very nature of consciousness itself, because that's the one yeah. thing that humans will always protect. Where is my consciousness? Where does it live? Can it be transported? And if my body withers, can it be, you know, basically moved into something yeah, else, right? Yeah. And in order to 
figure that out, we have to understand what consciousness itself is, right? And yeah. that becomes like a rabbit hole with no end. So where, how do you think about those kind of questions? Yeah, um, so again, remember our main focus is Horizon 2, like what to make sure that we have affordable and accessible version of technologies in five to 10 years from now. But what I can say, I just hate the idea of us living in a virtual world. I do believe that yeah, I would like us to enjoy ourselves as humans in, in, in this in material world for uh, as much as possible. So that's why we're not investing in uh, human avatars. We were looking like- Explain what that is for people yeah. that don't so, know. Yeah, so there's actually, so our idea was that, okay, well, let's invest in human avatars and, and see how this technology can change our lives. So we look at number of robotic avatars company first. So there's two types of mm -hmm. avatar. One is robotic avatar. You have like a copy of the robot and then you you basically you know can send this robot on the, like a North Pole or to Mars and uh, and right here uh, on the other device you just have like the same experience just but not you know being present on Mars uh, similar to what we've seen in Avatar movie. In fact, I had an opportunity to discuss the ethics of um, of the future and human avatars with Peter Jackson. Uh, uh, what did he have to say? Uh, yeah, he is basically saying that that we humans tend to dramatize the future and the negative uh, outcomes of technology. He says that we've been wired by mother nature to look for negative stuff because this is your, like you're just managing the risk of existence. Yeah, in a way. And he, he always, and this is what I use as well. He said like, but just thinking about people who would really need this, like uh, people who just, you know, like uh, do firefighting, uh, people who wants to discover and do like scientific discovery on Mars, but don't wanna spend like three years on a space shuttle, like, uh, you know, commuting right. here and there. Uh, people in need, people who are really disadvantaged in genetic lottery. And for them, this is the opportunity to enjoy life, to have meaningful impact here. So that's uh, that's his view. So coming back to avatars. Uh, so we, we were looking at this and apparently to my surprise, and it was pretty shocking, but we find out that the other version of avatars, which are virtual avatars is much cheaper to create. And um, we've seen examples then you can basically uh, like a recreate the person in the virtual world, world uh, and it's much cheaper. And again, with a different like VR, AR technology, you can actually enjoy it. There's, uh, there's a very interesting clip on, um, on YouTube uh, when South Korean mother meeting her daughter. Uh, well, let's, let's explain in the book, meeting her daughter who died in the age of five because of the rare disease in the virtual world. It's eight minutes clip done by uh, South Korean TV uh, where mother actually meet this girl in, in the virtual environment. I'm father of four. I basically stopped watching this after the first minute because I was just crying. It's heartbreaking. So essentially a, a, a digital avatar of the daughter who had been passed away yeah. was assembled using yeah. archival yeah. footage or yeah, photographs yeah, just or like photos like or videos. And yeah. some kind of algorithm yeah. was able to figure out how this child would act vis-a-vis exactly. the mother. Exactly, yeah. And then 99, it's kind of terrifying yeah, yeah, it is, too. yeah. So again, <laughs> it, it, it's just heartbreaking. So then the question is, um, 
uh, what are we going to do with that? And and that's why we are not investing in avatar space because I still can really handle the idea of efficiency of the virtual world. Like I'm, it, it, it took like a couple of years to my social media team to like push me into social media to like LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, because my real life is so interesting. I don't want to like create the virtual side of me. Uh, having said that, well, these are the technologies that we we have. So the unfortunate outcome of this for me is that the speed and, and efficiency of virtual world provides more opportunities uh, for us to recreate ourselves and extend our resource than, than the material world. But again, let's kind of think how Peter Jackson addresses that. Uh, he says, okay, well, Sergey, who was like the man or the woman uh, who had an enormous impact on your development when you were young. And I was always thinking about one of my uh, granddads and uh, I would love to have an opportunity to have his advice in the virtual world once a quarter when I'm really in a kind of difficult life situation. And, I, and there's even a company, I think it's called Wisdom AI. It was helping to recreate like an artificial uh, version of... Um, particular uh, role models and for you to have an opportunity to have a advice kind of through through the wisdom of generations rather than trying to solve a problem that you're completely unprepared to solve. So again, it's up to us. Are we trying to use this technology for good or for bad? It's almost like a, for nuclear energy, right? You can create a nuclear bomb or you, cre you can create like a, a nuclear energy plant for that, or uh, you can use this for um, creating the best version of the health scanning device, which will help to save millions lives. So that's, it's, it's all right. up to us. Or we, we ignorantly uh, innovate our own uh, shelf life and, <laughs> you know, we just, we innovate ourselves right out of, of existence. Like, you know, the Terminator, dystopia yeah. of AI becoming sentient and you know, humanity paying the price I agree. for all of this stuff. Uh, well, the way our conversation but, goes, uh, I think uh, I don't wanna you know, be like a guy who just embrace all of this. So don't gonna kill the messenger, right? I do wanna say, guys, this is happening. We need to think about this. We need to take collective responsibility for our choices because if you just, let it be done by default, by market or commercial forces. It's going to be disastrous version of the future. What's your sense of how we accomplish that? Because I, I do think there mm -hmm. needs to be a global congregation yeah. of incredibly bright people, philosophers, scientists, technologists, politicians, people from various walks of life who could contribute to this brain trust of trying to figure out how to responsibly usher in a technology that's more powerful than anything we could possibly imagine. Like as you're telling the story about the the Korean mother and the daughter, I'm 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 starting to greater have a greater appreciation for not just like when we're talking about longevity and aging, we're talking about time, right? And our our relationship with time, which is kind of a human conceit in right. many ways. Like it's a it's a malleable conceit. But when we start talking about virtual worlds that changes our relationship with space as well, like and distance and yeah. everything, all the physical laws yeah. 
that govern our daily lives suddenly become very different. And trying to really understand what that means seems like a very difficult equation to square. It is, well, it's difficult for me as well. Uh, but I do think that every little step that we can take just to increase awareness yeah. of that, that's important. And educating our regulators, government people, societies um, is uh, super important. And I do believe that choice about healthy version of our future starts today. So it comes down to, well, however distant, distant are problems that we just discussed, there's so many things that you can do today like just reestablish your relationship with mother nature, make healthy choices in terms of, are you supporting industrial food production or are you supporting organic food production? Are you, uh, you know, are you more plant-based and therefore it's more friendly for your body and for the planet, for the communities and, and the health of the nation? Are you doing a lot of acts of kindness? Are you sharing the best of you with the world? And therefore help a lot of people to achieve their own potential realization and social, be like happier version of, of themselves yeah. because we need to be in healthy and happy state to appreciate that today and to make sure this healthy and happy state extends uh, in the future. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's all we can do right now as exactly. individuals, right? On top of everything in here, one thing we haven't gotten to yet in this discussion around longevity isn't just arresting the aging process. It's this idea of, I mean, it's literally the title of your book, like growing young, like the reversal of aging. So can you kind of parse those two things? When you say growing young, mm -hmm. like what exactly are you talking yeah, about? So um, remember what we started is like average lifespan on earth uh, increased from what 35 to like, or at least in developed countries from 35 to like 75 years. But then the upper limit of uh, lifespan, it's still the same. It's somewhere around 120 years. Yeah. So the, the oldest person on earth was this beautiful French woman who died, I think back in 1999 in the age of 122 years. And this has been unchanged through the whole history. So uh, then the question is, um, how do we change that? And so far, the way we've done, we increase our lifespan and health span has been avoiding early deaths. But that's like the only thing that we've done. And even the focus of today discussion is like, well, let's just not die from cancer. Let's not die from heart disease, from diabetes. And we're facing actually the next wave and next barrier, which is neurogenerative disease comes, uh, which you know, come in the latest stage of our life, somewhere around eighties or nineties, uh, which we still need to solve. But it's again, it's just, so the average lifespan increased because we're avoiding early death. So that's that's the modus operandi. Right, because a lot of those stats are driven by infant mortality exactly, as well, right? Exactly, well, that's, that's like the biggest uh, problem that we've been solving. Um, so, but what is happening with the technologies and, and science breakthroughs, which are available to us today and which is in, in like a work in process today, we will, soon have an ability to reverse aging. Even like there was very small studies done with you know, eight people who actually managed to reverse their aging based on set of biomarkers, but a very small number. But, and again, it's it sounds impossible and ridiculous today, but this has actually happened. You can grow young, you can 
change your set of biomarkers to be younger. Like even today, uh, like when I, when I had my statin story, when I rejected the idea of taking the pill till the rest of my life and changed my diet, became plant-based, uh, doing physical exercises, uh, taking omega-3 and it's like even vegan version of that available, right? So you can be vegan and taking different supplements. Um, I reduce my biological age by probably three to five years. So that's, that's is already happening. We just have this lifestyle intervention and this will be contributed and complemented by our ability to influence genetic diseases or our genetic setup, by our ability to regrow and replace organs. Actually the most, the two most difficult ones is actually brain and heart. Isn't it symbolic? And, um, or like having longevity in the pill, right? We have so many longevity and, and age-related disease kind of um, drug candidates at the moment, mm-hmm. like metformin. Generic drug has been there for 50, 60 years, pretty safe. We still need to run a trial, but I, what, is the, what is it um, in terms of creating um, age reversal effect, right? Or life extension effect. But this is still uh, in development stage. But again, there's, there's a lot of ideas how we can uh, reverse our aging. And some of these species on earth, they don't have an aging process. So the way they die is like metaphorically, like you know, being hit by a bus, right? So there's no, in terms of our biological setup, we don't necessarily need to to age, but again, and this, and I do think it was the theme of our conversation today. Before embracing technology and science of age reversal, there's much bigger issues that we need to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. create the life that we want to extend. Yeah, a hundred percent. We like to talk a lot about the minutia or the one percent that's going to, you know, some supplement that we can take, but in truth the real mover here is how you're living your life on a daily basis. Exactly. And it's not sexy. It's not, you know, there's no, there's no hack involved with that. It's just, you know, good habits. It's everyday practiced every single day. Yeah, I agree. And I'm I know that, I, I know that David is, is, you know, a friend and a colleague in all of this, um, David Sinclair. Yeah. But one of the things that, that, I wouldn't say you disagree on, but mm-hmm. where you're a little bit different in terms of yeah. focus is David, you know, he loves to talk about sirtuins and regulating mTOR <laughs> and resveratrol and yeah. metformin, as you yeah. just mentioned, and yeah. NMN and NAD and all that yeah, kind of stuff. I think stuff. it's too early. And yeah. Yeah. So, and and again, I think the mental trick, what it does, you, you're going to start to believe in this magic pill, which will solve all the problem for you. Mm-hmm. And the problem is like, rather than changing your life, and the life of people and health of people around you, you just like waiting for this magic pill to arrive or you can buy it in the form of NMN or metformin. And, and, that's, and, and, and I do think it's just, it changed your mentality rather than taking responsibility and changing the world, changing your health. You just like sit and wait until something magical will happen. And I'm a little bit against that. I'm also, I also think I'm chemical engineer by my first degree. So that's why, you know, I just rejected the idea of, you know, having statins for the rest of my life. And this is where my uh, longevity journey started. I just do believe that a lot of things need to be tested in a proper way before we can uh, embrace that. And in the meantime, 
we just need to look at the levers that we can actually control today yeah. and we can change today. So I, I, I think the downside of believing in like magic pill or magic supplement is that it's just another excuse for us uh, to be irresponsible. Yeah, it divorces you from responsibility. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that. It's amazing how many things work well in mice that they can't figure yeah. out how to make yeah. in larger mammals, you know, because there's crazy stuff happening with oh, mice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They just, I think they extend it. I've just seen the research. Uh, there was a study yeah. last week, yeah, right? Yeah, like 28 uh, or like 30% life extension. Right. So, well, let's discuss that. I do believe the, the beauty of progress is that right now, instead of, uh, Kind of working with animals right now. There's a lot of development in terms of synthetic models, like almost computerized model or artificially grown uh, biomaterial, which will give us an opportunity to do testing without actually uh, involving animals. And I love that. I also like the fact that it's actually more precise representation of humans. So then you don't like you know, going to the nature and trying to pick up like in a pretty cruel way, someone who's gonna re replace and like diminish the risk of losing human life. You create in the computer model like or biological model where you can test like the substance in a very, uh, well, I think like eco-friendly way. So uh, I'm not sure uh, we, uh, you know, put a lot of emphasis on this in the book, but I do think it's important to realize that uh, there's so many ethical things and problems that we can solve by looking at technological progress as an opportunity to be, you know, more in uh, uh, in the harmony, if you want, in the balance with the world uh, around us. So I'm not that kind of optimistic about research, which you know, has been done uh, on animals. I'm more optimistic. Yeah. I'm kind of future guy yeah. and probably today guy. So I'm more optimistic that with with the progress which we have in today, we can actually be do much faster, more representative trials without actually involving uh, mm, animals or uh, other creatures on this planet who were not designed to help us to extend our life. Yeah, of course not. Um, it's a mindset or a philosophical shift to approach these problems from a perspective of, of balance and symbiosis, as opposed to we're the apex predator and we're just gonna yeah. lay our template on this planet and make it work yeah. for our own self-interest, yeah. which is really the prevailing you know, sensibility by yeah. which we've, you know, Pursued, you know, yeah. uh, life on Earth, and 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 so there is there is a little bit of a, a spiritual awakening or a mindset revolution that has that has to take place to pursue the solution to these problems from from that more kind of empathetic, compassionate perspective. But one thing you mentioned that just popped into my mind when you were talking about again back to the South Korean mother and the daughter and the 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 advent of virtual reality and 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 the like is this amazing opportunity to expand the aperture on empathy because so many of our problems and our conflicts 
are driven by a lack of understanding of where someone else is coming from yeah. or what their life experience yeah. is. And if you could put yeah. on a headset or tap into some technology that would allow you to experience what it's like to be in a Syrian refugee camp yeah. right now or to swim with great white sharks yeah. under the water, what, whatever the case may be, I think there's a potential that could unify us in a way that would be very helpful in yeah. solving some of these yeah, problems. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, well, if you wanna, I mean, COVID is a disaster, right? But if you wanna look at the positive side of that, because we stayed home and we were driving less, look at the amount of uh, biodiversity that we have around it us. Bounce back pretty yeah, quick. It just, and it's, it, it was like just a few months and like mm-hmm. I'm living next to the park. Just, I've never seen the birds which I've seen during the COVID, I mean, they're still there. They just sing right. every morning I wake up and I just stay there. It's just, it's been so beautiful. And I do think it just show us the opportunity. Like if we are mindful about our choices today, mother nature will not wait for 10 or 20 years, like gene yeah. editing technology to give you a kind of favor, to give you like a positive feedback. And I love that. So, um, yeah, I don't know why I'm kind of talking about no, it. I just like got this, so this excited is, this about this whole thing. I'm yeah. just, it's, and again, it's, <laughs> it's just our opportunity to reconnect, to be uh, more human, you know, to look at the positive side of, of us. And not only in relationship, like human to human, but also in relationship with uh, nature around us. Right. The holistic nature of it all. Yeah. Um, of the companies that your fund is invested mm. in, what what's, got you excited? Like what's happening right now that we, that people who are listening might be interested in hearing about? Yeah, so um, remember we discussed that um, we can regrow organs and that's actually uh, a huge problem today. Like if you need a liver transplantation, you need to wait for six, nine, 12 months. A lot of people just couldn't really last for that long. And it's $800,000 procedure. And like, and I think, a lot of kind of foreign organs in transplanted in human body get rejected the because rejection, of yeah. Yeah, autoimmune uh, reaction. So like Genesis is a company based in Pittsburgh. What they do, they um, split the donor liver in 50 to 70 pieces. So that's not one donor helping one recipient. It's just one donor helping 50 to 70 mm. people. They use this very simple laparoscopic operation. They put it in, in your lymph node. It's actually here. Uh, that's like the best place. And then new liver uh, regrows in your body, taking the function of your kind of existing liver and supporting it. Wow, so well, the, lymph, the lymph node or the lymph tissue provides like the habitat for these yeah, liver yeah, cells yeah. to yeah. grow. Yeah, so it's crazy. Yeah, and they're like, I haven't checked it, but like this they guy- like stem cell, they like pluripotent stem cells or they're liver cells? Yeah, this, it's the liver cells. They obviously stimulate that. And lymph node is good because it's just intersection of so many like fluids uh, inside our body. But what is important, they had like 100% uh, success, but uh, they, the human trial is already happening. So it's not like the technology that we need to wait for like 10 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. it can change the thing and, um, and the opportunity for us to replace unfunctioning organs, right? And increase the quality of people who like really suffer yeah. uh, today or like 3D bioprinting, 
Well, that's that's right. amazing. Yeah, you can. You don't need to like hunt for organs, you know, at peaks or at other humans, right? And this is like barbaric. It's in wild. A way. Yeah, I know there's a company in Israel that's doing 3D printing of cultured meat. I believe uh, right now for human consumption. Yeah, it would logically follow that at some point they'll figure out how to how to 3D print or cell culture yeah. a human heart. Yeah, like, why is like. I'm sure it's yeah. ridiculously complicated, yeah. but inevitably as technology unfolds, like why would that not be possible? Yeah, I, I think it would be possible. Right now, like the problem is like every organ is like super integrated in our body, right? We're a comprehensive holistic system. So specifically for the heart, you just need to print just enormous amount of, is it capillars? Like a smaller vessels? Capillary. Yeah, capillaries, yeah, to integrate it. And that's actually, works against you because the complexity of so this complex. 3D, 3D model, yeah. like to be integrated in the body is there, but this is all solvable in like 10, 20 years. So, and I think there's, there's a number of cases in today's conversation when our barbarian practices, right? Uh, can be changed with the beauty and, and the progress uh, of technology and science as well. And this is where I, I uh, see the opportunity. So lab-grown meat is like super expensive today. Uh, so did what, um, like uh, using sun for uh, generation, for electricity generation uh, was- Solar energy. power. Yeah, solar yeah. power, yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, was super expensive yeah. 20 or 30 years ago. Right now, it's just like almost everywhere. Mm -hmm. So this is gonna happen. I don't know how the world will look like in 20 to 30 years, but I do think Today is the time yeah. to decide yeah. how it's going to look. Which like brings you to the X Prize. So you're on the. Well, I don't know what your exact function yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I'm an I'm an innovation board of. Right. Uh, I'm I'm a group of crazy people who would like to solve world biggest problems through X Prize Foundation. Yeah, and the and and the focus being on on this aging question, right? Yeah. So so the idea is you put it out to the world and technologists and smart people mm -hmm. come up with solutions. And then you and Peter or a board of people make a decision as to who gets these funds to yeah. pursue that idea. Uh, no, well, it's, it's a little bit different. So what, what we do, and we've done probably two X prize um, competition with Elon Musk uh, as well. You go like a guy like Elon Musk, you take, um, well, there is an X prize earlier this year uh, competition. You take like hundred million dollars from Elon, you go to the world and say, guys, the first team is gonna create the technology for in this case, like carbon removal mm -hmm. to remove, remove CO2 from the atmosphere in a, in a minimal viable product, will get hundred million dollars. It's a little bit more complicated than this because you have like a short list of 10 teams. They get like 1 million each. And like the final team, like the, the ultimate winner will have uh, like a hundred million dollar and uh, it's gonna take the price. So you have two, three, 400 teams all around the world. Usually it's 50 plus countries competing for this prize using their own resources, their own ideas, their own creativity, their own network to solve this big problem. And and it's been, this is how we why we have uh, partly uh, private space industry because the first X Prize right now we know it as a Virgin Galactic was creation of first private spaceship mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, or so the idea with a reversal X Prize competition and I'm I'm sponsoring the design of that is um, we combined like the most brilliant 
minds on the planet, like George George, uh, David Sinclair, Aubrey de Grey, Steve Howard, the inventor of the first biological clocks, when you use a set of biomarkers to define your biological age. And we design in the competition where you have a set of biomarkers and it's like an intervention or the drug or technology or the piece of science who will help you to not to age right or even reverse your set of biomarkers in the in the course of um, uh, 12 months um, in the current regulatory environment obviously i mean to be safe uh, it should fit the regulation that we have uh, today in in us so in the end it's obviously it's, it's just uh, it's a big group of scientists who's going to decide like what are the 10 most promising and most effective technologies or inventions which will help us to reverse aging as a way to tackle age reversal diseases and as a way to extend productive and efficient uh, stage of our life. Uh Uh, And then obviously they get like a certain mini prizes, like a million dollars, which will, which they will use to fund the second stage of competition and like refine their own we call it intervention, intervention or technology or uh, scientific discovery. And then the ultimate winner can get a hundred million dollars. So the beauty of this idea, this is all pro bono as you understand. Yeah. Um, so the beauty of that, you pay for result. And so we have like coral restoration X price now. They, when they looking at the challenge of uh, helping corals to like regrow, or we, we just finished, I think it was back in 2019, the other XPRIZE with Elon Musk called uh, Global Learning XPRIZE. Then we developed the, uh, well, winning team, develop, who won $15 million, developed the app, which is open sourced, can be put on any smartphone on tablet, like the cheapest one, even the old one, distributed to kids in Africa or people in prison for them with zero adult support to become literate in English or Swahili in, in their own language uh, in the course of 12 months. Isn't it beautiful when you have technology, right? And, and like the application, which is free for everyone, for people to become uh, like a wiser and yeah. more talented and hopefully get a more kind version of uh, themselves. That's very cool. Can you talk about what's percolating up right now? What is percolating up? Is like, what's the barrier? No, what is, are there, I'm sure you're like looking Mm -hmm. at submissions at the moment or what? Uh, No, we know. So we actually looking for hundred million (laughs) dollars. Okay, so you're putting it together. Yeah, yeah. so I spent my personal money Uh on the design stage. It took us like a year and a half uh, because, uh, well, that's a pretty risky competition to run. We just want to make sure that we don't put it an unnecessary risk like human lives. Uh, and uh, it's again, human aging is, is such a complex problem. So it took us a while and uh, quite a bit of money, again, my personal contribution to that, to design the XPRIZE. So we're now in dialogue with few of the sponsors who are actually happy to put uh, 50 to $100 million to uh, support this prize. Wow. And if you look at the profile of these people, they all, uh, pretty rich and they, at the moment of, of their life, when they realize you can really take it all, you know, when you're gonna die. And like, <laughs> there's a limit of what you can consume. Majority of them is like, you know, I don't wanna yacht, I don't wanna a private yeah. plane. I'm like, I just don't wanna, ch- uh, you know, I want to change the world. Mm-hmm. I wanna make the world better. And that's, uh, if you think about this, like, you know, helping people to fight heart disease, cancer, 
diabetes for the price of 100 million. It's just incomparable with economic effect, with increase of our quality of our life uh, and increase of our efficiency and also giving us the opportunity to dream more and, and just be you know, more connected in this world. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. But Thank in the you. meantime, go outside, eat more plants. Please. Love your family, love your neighbor, put your feet in the dirt, right? Get a good night's sleep. And do your annual health checkups. Health checkups, that's right. Cool, man. Well, thank you for thank coming you. here and talking to me today. Uh, the book is Growing Young, The Science and Technology of Growing Young. You can pick it up everywhere. It's available August 24th. Um, and I appreciate you coming to Thank you. To I learned a lot, that was super fun. So best of luck. Thanks, Reach. Peace. Plants. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links and resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at richroll.com where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as podcast merch, my books, Finding Ultra, Voicing Change in the Plant Power Way, as well as the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube and leave a review and or comment. Supporting the sponsors who support the show is also important and appreciated. And sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is of course, awesome and very helpful. And finally, for podcast updates, special offers on books, the meal planner and other subjects, please subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on the footer of any page at richroll.com. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Kale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg, graphic and social media assets courtesy of Daniel Solis, Dan Drake, and AJ Akpodiete. Thank you, Georgia Whaley for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love, love the support. See you back here soon. Peace, plants. Namaste.